0: It is the unprecedented nature of this challenge that also gives rise to your second obligation, an obligation which I share, and that is our obligation to inform and alert the American people, to make certain that they possess all the facts that they need, and understand them as well, the perils, the prospects, the purposes of our program, and the choices that we face. No president should fear public scrutiny of his program, for from that scrutiny comes understanding, and from that understanding comes support or opposition, and both are necessary. I am not asking your newspapers to support an administration, but I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. Those moments of democracy inspiration were from John F. Kennedy's speech to the American Newspaper Publishers Association at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, February 15th. Moving from 1961 to today, we're frankly in a moment of pause and waiting for what the future of our democracy will look like. U.S. popular attention has been focused on sports from the Super Bowl to the Olympics and on looming issues that threaten to rewrite our political moment but have yet to do so. Biggest among those, of course, are the looming threats of a possible war in Europe if Russia invades the Ukraine and economic disruptions, including ripple effects from that possible military conflict to continued trade disruptions from the now disbanded Canadian Freedom Convoy protest to a new ban on avocado imports after a death threat against U.S. government officials led them to halt shipments from the area of Mexico where most avocados are imported. While a spike in avocado prices won't cripple the U.S. economy, it would keep focusing attention on rising inflation and supply chain issues that are felt by all. In the meantime, as we await the impact of these broader macro issues, three domestic developments to keep your eyes on this week related to politics and democracy. The latest in the investigations into the Trump Organization in New York, latest developments in this landmark Sarah Palin versus The New York Times, Uh, First Amendment lawsuit, and some new proposed changes to the Georgia campaign finance laws. First, let's talk about Trump and the Trump Organization. So the big deal here is that Trump's accountants, the firm Mazar, sent a letter to the Trump Organization's chief legal officer back on February 9th, which just came to light now as New York Attorney General Letitia James, who's been investigating the finances of the Trump Organization, filed new court documents to explain why she wanted to question Trump and his kids under oath. Basically, what this letter from Mazars said is that they have found that the past 10 years of financial statements from the Trump Organization should no longer be relied upon. They also said they have a non-waivable conflict of interest, which means they're frankly cooperating with the investigation by the Attorney General. So this allows the Attorney General to allege there's significant evidence that the Trump Organization manipulated their asset valuations to obtain loans and avoid taxes. Now, as many loans have representations and warranties, including standard ones, like vouching for the accuracy of the information provided as the basis for executing a loan, the big deal is that this may mean that the Trump Organization could be in, in breach of a lot of their lending agreements, and lenders could call in loans early, or otherwise change the terms of their agreements. huge potential financial blow to the Trump Organization, independent of the actual investigation that is underway. Simply the fact that the accountants are no longer vouching for the accuracy of those financial statements could bring billions of dollars of loans due immediately for Trump. It also uh, triggered a whole rant from Donald Trump against Hillary Clinton and others, and likely more outlashes um, in the days to come. Another big thing happening in New York was a lawsuit developments. So the New York Times got a small victory yesterday when the New York district judge dismissed the landmark defamation lawsuit brought by former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin. Now it's really unusual. He dismissed this case even while the jury was continuing to discuss what was going to happen. But because he, it is likely that Palin's legal team is going to appeal the j- dismissal to the appellate court, the jury is still going to continue their deliberations. If the jury finds for the New York Times, it makes it really hard to continue to appeal the case. But if they find for Palin, it's likely that there'll be grounds for an appeal. And the big deal here is that Palin is suing the Times for a false report that linked her to the 2011 mass shooting that included injuries to Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. What they said is there was actual malice in the way that the reporting was done. The Times is arguing that the inaccurate link was a mistake. They fixed it 14 hours after publication, and there was no actual malice. This is the first libel case against the New York Times to go to trial in over two decades. And it's a big deal because they very rarely do these cases end up going to court and going through trial. And Palin has said that if she loses, she's going to appeal all the way to the Supreme Court, asking the Supreme Court to overturn a fundamental part of First Amendment law and court precedent that says, occasional mistakes are the natural result of a free press. This was a landmark case, New York Times versus Sullivan, and conservatives have been seeking to overturn this. If they do, it would really change the face of how we can do reporting, what type of information gets published, and legal and financial accountability for the press so something to continue to watch because it's going to be appealed it'll probably still be in the press and still be developing for the next year or more because these cases take time to move through the system third big thing this week uh, down in georgia is a proposed change to the georgia campaign finance laws now these proposed changes would only affect people running for state office so not the U.S. Senate race. But it's actually united both Stacey Abrams, who's running as the Democrat, and David Perdue, who's running as the Republican challenger against incumbent Brian Kemp. Perdue and Abrams are joining together to push back against Brian Kemp's GOP allies who are trying to rewrite campaign finance laws in Georgia just months before the election. Now, last year, Kemp's allies created a a law that allowed... Kemp to create a new fundraising vehicle, a leadership committee that could allow him to raise unlimited money even while the legislative session was in place. Georgia has had a long-time law that prohibits elected officials from raising funds during a legislative session. The idea to stop grift, you can't raise money while you're also voting on things that your donors might be uh, having opinions on. This allowed Kemp to raise money, Purdue challenged that law as unconstitutional. And just last week, the U.S. district judge ruled against Kemp and said that uh, Kemp could not use any of the money in the leadership committee uh, for the primary, but he could use the money that he raises in the leadership committee for the general election. Now, the new law that they're trying to pass is to ban challengers from raising money during the legislative session. So Kemp could keep raising money. Purdue and Stacey Abrams couldn't. And Stacey Abrams can't form a leadership committee because she is not in office, so Kemp could keep raising money, even if he can't spend it against Purdue. He could raise money now to spend against Abrams when they get to the general election. The exact language isn't known, but they're planning to pass it really fast. It could be signed into law as early as today or tomorrow. If it moves forward, likely would be found unconstitutional, but again, every step in the court process takes time so even if it just pauses fundraising for a month or two it would be a big shift in a very contentious and very close gubernatorial race It would have also have impacts all the way down ballot and the dynamic is that it would pause fundraising until at least April 4th when the current legislative session ends but Kemp as governor also has the authority to extend the legislative session or to call the legislature back into a special session at his discretion. So basically, this new law would let him control when people can and cannot raise money for state office. He could end the session, and then everyone starts fundraising, and then if he starts to get an edge, he could call back a special session just to stop challengers from raising money again closer to the election. And we all know the dynamics of Georgia was such a close race, and who gets elected governor, secretary of state, on down, will have big impacts, not just for the current midterms and the people of Georgia, but also for what happens in 2024 if Georgia is a swing state that determines the presidency. So ways that these effects to essentially rig the election by rejiggering state campaign finance laws in just one state could have ripple effects for the future of the democracy across the United States. So something to definitely keep an eye on. There's both rapid fundraising underway and lawsuits that will be filed if this gets passed. But these are the types of attacks on our functioning of our democracy that we have to be looking at right now. So those are the key developments this week in our democracy. I'm Jason Franklin. I look forward to talking with you again next week on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care.